You're listening to Fundraising Radio, a podcast about fundraising for early stage startups. The major rule that we follow here is no bullshit on this podcast. No music to relax you, no advertisements of our sponsors. We only talk about fundraising here and nothing else. So let's jump into the episode. And today as a guest speaker, we have Adam Jackson, founder and CEO at Braintrust. And in this episode, we'll talk about his most recent fundraising, raising the seed round of $6 million, how this fundraising compared with his previous fundraisings, and surviving the COVID winter. So, Adam, let's kick it off by you giving us some background on yourself and on Brain Trust. Yeah, sure. Happy to. And thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, so I'm a, I have a computer science background. I've been, uh, I was into computer hardware as a kid and then uh, went to Vanderbilt uh, University for computer science. Uh, moved out to California, the San Francisco Bay Area, right out of school. Uh, that was back almost 18 years ago. And uh, I was sort of an engineer turned entrepreneur. Uh, Braintrust is my fourth venture-backed company. Um, I've started all marketplace businesses, all in different categories. So my first business was an e-commerce local shopping marketplace that was acquired by Intuit. Uh, I spent a year there as a product manager. Uh, then left in uh, 2007 to start my second company called Driverside. Driverside was a uh, national marketplace that connected car owners with car mechanics that had excess capacity in their service bays for them. We grew that into a national marketplace and were acquired by Advanced Auto Parts, which is a big retailer on the East Coast. In 2012, I went on to start my third company called Doctor On Demand, which is a, a, a large uh, live video telemedicine service. Uh, I started that with uh, two other guys, Phil McGraw and his son, Jay McGraw. Phil McGraw is better known as Dr. Phil from Daytime TV. And um, so we started that company together and I served as CEO for the first four years. We grew it into a, a giant enterprise healthcare company. And um, uh, about four years into the uh, the journey, uh, we put in what I like to call a, a real manager to kind of keep things growing and uh, as, as an important enterprise company in the space. and. So my friend Hill Ferguson took over and is our CEO to this day, and uh, that company will hopefully uh, go public next year. Um, and when I stepped out of day-to-day operations at Dr. On Demand, it, it gave me a chance to kind of go back to my first love and passion, which is deep technology. Uh, and that's when I got into blockchain tech. Um, in 2017, I I started a, helped start a investment fund called Cambrian Asset Management, which is a, a digital asset management company. Um, that is uh, now uh, quite a large and, and quickly growing firm. Um, my role there was to do early stage investing, and um, I kind of came up with this thesis around um, user owned and controlled marketplaces. Um, you know, as a marketplace builder, I realized like, you know, one of the problems that what that happens as you grow a, a web a two sided web enabled marketplace. Um, is that they're very expensive to grow, right? They're very capital intensive to build liquidity. So you end up raising a lot of money. Mm -hmm. If you're lucky enough to get big, the investors end up owning the network and they rightfully so need a return on their investment. And that's when the fees start to go up and the value extraction really starts. And that, you know, that ends up putting, creating divergent incentives between the users who make their living on the network and, you know, the folks who own it, the investors. And so we're seeing that play out in the gig economy today, right? Where, you know, Uber or DoorDash goes public, the founders become billionaires, the investors become billionaires, and, you know, the folks making their living on the service are, are just barely getting by. And so, I, you know, we thought, look, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a way to kind of um, give some of that value that the middleman extracts, give it back 
to the users who make their living on the network and 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 you know that that's what we call the user-owned economy kind of a progression from the gig economy and so this is a new business model enabled by a new technology which is blockchain and so we spun uh brain trust out of cambrian um and and i i've been running that now for the last two and a half years brain trust is a global talent network that connects technical talent design talent with large companies that need them and can't hire enough of them nice there's a lot of successful stories that i heard in this background so actually before moving on and talking a little bit more about this success you know how you got there my first question is going to be about failure so looking back in the past what do you think was your major mistake specifically uh focusing on fundraising <laughs> well um boy there's so, so many things i may do differently if i had them to do over, <laughs> but, uh, i mean look the good the good news is um uh, every one of our investors you know has made money or you know, will will likely make money, you know, like in Dr. On Demand's case, um, some of them quite a lot of money. And so, um, and, and the same looks like it will be true for, you know, for the other projects. But, um, you know, I, I think, um, I, I, I think, so I'm not, I'm not sure there's anything specifically I would do differently. I, I think some, some lessons I wish I'd known when I, you know, this 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 last round we just raised, we raised raised a strategic growth round for Brain Trust. We, you know, just announced in October of eighteen million dollars, um, and that was, you know, on top of the six million seed round from earlier. Um, you, you know, it really matters who you let into these rounds um, because they're going to be there with you for a while, um, and so you know, really pick your investors carefully and. Um, Due diligence on them like like they do diligence on you i think that's that's one big takeaway um and then you know be smart about um you know not over capitalizing the company i think i think is, those are two big mm -hmm. things i wish i understood better uh when i was younger right that's super important actually speaking of overcapitalizing, that's a really important subject to discuss and that's the question that many founders have and that's the question that many founders think is not <clears throat> sorry not really important so how how do you usually personally estimate how much money you should raise for the company for the specific round? Yeah. So great question. And I, I appreciate, you know, you saying like for, for the specific round, um, you're, so it's with companies, it's, it's like, I forget the, there, there's some person's name law that this is, I can't remember the name, but, um, it, it, the, it, the law goes, you know, the, the longer you're around, the more likely you are to be around in the future. Yeah, so so the longer you survive, the more likely you'll survive. Um, and and that, that's very true in tech tech startups. Um, you are most likely to die in your first two years. Um, and so and that's your seed round. Um, and and look, I mean, as an inv I'm also you know I'm an operator, I'm a CEO, but I'm also an, an active investor. I have um, invest in technology companies out of two separate funds, um, a, a joint fund and a family office fund, and. Um, and so, look, I'm, I, you know, I don't look at deals all day like a real VC does, but I, I certainly, you know, see enough of them and, and, and still active. Um, most companies who die in the first year, two years, should die. Right? I mean, that, that's kind of how the ecosystem works. Not every startup that is started can, you know, can or should succeed. Um, but, but what I will say for you know, if it's your startup, you certainly think it should succeed, right? And, and then mm -hmm. it's on you to give it the best chance of success. And so what I always tell my portfolio companies or, or friends that I'm are founding is, is raise 2x the amount of money 
you think you need to get to your next big milestone and and your next in the seed round and and the next big milestone is one of you know when, when you're a seed company there are two potential milestones for you like in a, and if you have a third one like it probably doesn't matter because one, only one of these two matters it's cash flow break even or a, a series a that's in the bag right those are the two milestones so so if you think so and, and how do you you know so cash flow break even is very straightforward what's a series a in the bag prove product market fit show like show sustainable uh, and hopefully organic growth or not, mm -hmm. doesn't have to be organic but show good month over month growth like 25 plus percent month over month growth that you're not you know churning negative gross margins on right that's an important one and so that's the only way to have a series a in the bag um and so and so and so figure out what it would so you likely you're going to you know, most most innovative companies you know have to have take bigger risks so they don't have to get to cash flow even they they choose the second path um which is fine i've done it both ways you know brain trust got to cash flow even on the seed round my other companies did not <laughs> uh you know they, they all eventually do but you know some take longer than others and so you know and so say okay look if i think i'm going to need two million dollars to get the, to to have the metrics that the Series A is in the bag, then raise four, because it's never going to be. It's always going to be much more expensive than you think. That that's what I even with you know falling prices on hosting and blah blah blah. Like it it just takes longer, right? Like there's no way to estimate that. So raise raise two x what you think you need on the seed. That's actually very fair because if you have to raise bridge rounds, that's that's just not. That's not great. Trust me, raising bridge round is not fun at all. So great advice here. Um, Speaking of fundraising, let's talk about your previous fundraisings and your current fundraising. So you had multiple different companies, you've raised for all of them. And, you know, looking back at the very first raise that you had and looking at your most recent raise of $80 million, what are the major differences that you see there? Well, um, you know, I've been doing it. So I've raised this, this last round we just did was the 10th round of venture capital that I've been you know, a, a founder of, I have, I've only been, I've been a CEO twice and a, mm -hmm. had a product, a CTO prior. Um, but, but uh, so, so 10th one where I've been on the founding team and, um, you know, that's over 15 years from 2005 to, to, to 2020. So, so the world has changed the industry, the, everything has changed a lot in those 15 years. And so, you know, what made sense then makes no sense now. Right. And so, um, so much like every like i can't even like everything has changed so like it used to be seed rounds were like you know friends friends and family 500 grand and like you know you got the website up or you hired a team right? and then you go to series a and now it's you know if you're not if you haven't basically totally de-risked your company by series a you don't get the series a done right i mean series a's are like what series c's used to be and series b or, C or c's that we do today was like 2002's IPO, right? So, right. right. I mean, you have to, like, you have to be as big as, you know, not Airbnb, but you have to be doing no, mm -hmm. you know, nothing shy of 120, 130 million ARR yep. to go public now, um, which is stupid, right? I mean, that's Sarbanes-Oxley. That's, that's a bunch of garbage that got layered on and, that's why the secondaries are so crazy and you know what the, the market will figure it out so the, the the world is just is so different now than it was before um other other macro factors right so capital is free 
which means, you know, right, interest rates are zero or negative for the foreseeable future, which means um, venture as an asset class gets over allocated to, right? Yeah. And it's an easy, right? It's a, it, it looks like an easy business. It's actually a really hard business. Some of the people I know are, are, are VCs, but, but, but their lives are de-risked, right? They, they, they live on the, they live nicely on those fees. And all I have to do is keep raising more funds. Um, eventually, you know, eventually the cows have to come home there, but it could be a decade. Um, you know, they have to show returns eventually, but, um, you know, even one lucky bet can do that. So, um, so, so cap, so capital is more, um, more accessible, um, which makes it much harder to be an investor. Um, and, and the the barrier to entry starting a company is zero, right? You go get some Amazon credits and find some developers and you're, you're off to the races. So, so everything, it's more competitive for everyone, right? But, but that's, but what's great about that is, is the, the, the gates have come down, right? Sandhill used to be this ultimate gate gatekeeper for, you know, early stage risk capital. And it's just not that way anymore. Hell, the, the rules for reg CF, the crowdfunding rules just went from 1 million to 5 million. So you can now raise $5 million unre not registered with the SEC under under exemption mm -hmm. reg CF to, to build a crowdfunded startup. You know, well, it's, that's amazing, right? What a time to be an entrepreneur. So, you know, it's extremely different. 100%. Speaking of changes, let's talk about raising money during the COVID. So you've raised one of your rounds during the so-called COVID winter. How did you make it happen? You know, I assume you've never raised in that way before, just like any other entrepreneur. So how do you take care of that? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anybody's raised in a COVID winter before this one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I'll tell you. So look, pluses and minuses. So we raised a seed round in November of 2018. So it was a normal round. Um, that was a hard round to get done because we are a, a blockchain network. We're, you know, we're not even a real company. We're, we're a network like Ethereum. Um, we're selling tokens, not shares of stock. And that was a tough thing to do, right? That early, you know, 2018 was very early. A lot of investors weren't into this stuff yet. Some of their LPAs wouldn't even allow it. I mean, right? I mean, they couldn't physically couldn't even make the investment even if they wanted to. Most of them didn't want to though. So that wasn't a big deal. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, that, that sucked. That was like, you know, a month of going up and down from between South Park and Sand Hill and, and telling the story. And yeah, look, we, we got it done because my partner Gabe and I have, have good track records. And, um, you know, they, uh, I, I think those early seed, seed investors really had conviction around our passion and, and, our, and our track records. And, and so we got the round done. Um, the COVID round, we started and we opened it up kind of late August closed it up in October. So, you know, roughly six week process for the bulk of the money. Um, I'll tell you, it was, there, there were pros and cons. So that was a relatively easy round to get done because the momentum of the project, the business was so strong. We were, we were growing, when we opened that round, we were growing 25, 30% month over month. When we closed it, we were growing 55% month over month. And, and, and so, and it was all organic, no CAC. I mean, it's just, you know, the brain trust model of placing distributed teams into large Fortune 1000 companies, it, it, it got, that model got accelerated by a decade because of COVID. So we, you know, we, it was a good timing, good story, right? Team, product market fit, traction. Uh, we still have the blockchain thing around our necks. <laughs> People, <laughs> investors hate blockchain. They fucking hate it. Uh, mostly because they're too fucking lazy to do the work and figure it out. That's honestly the the main reason is these fuckers they think it's a fad right these these so many VCs their job is to put money 
into new things that like will most likely change the world. And like most of them are just too lazy to get out of bed on these things. So um, now look, the best investors we have are, I have to hand it to them. They really did the work. You know, some of them even amended their LPAs to get, to get, to get the, the deal done and they're very high conviction investors. So um, rounded ended up being oversubscribed too, which, which felt good. But, um, but, but on the COVID part in particular, so pros, I didn't leave my house. That was awesome. <laughs> like really fucking hate Menlo Park. I really hate Sand Hill Road. I hate the 280 and I hate the 101. And I didn't have to get in my car and waste my fucking day driving down there and sitting at the Rosewood between those fucking time-wasting meetings. Uh, that was great. Um, on the downside, um, the passion an entrepreneur has for his or her project really can only come through in person. Um, I remember spending countless evenings, you know, with with Brian Roberts from, from Ven Rock. He, he led our Series A at Doctor on Demand, and he's such a great investor and a visionary in healthcare. And you know, he and I would you know share a meal or or whatever, and you know, and and talk about how big this, that company was going to be. And th look, and he, I really found my partners in, over over time that way in in my in, in VCs. Um, and that's oh, it's it's impossible to do over Zoom, right? It's very it's very hard, um, and so I we really miss that in person connection. I mean, my we have um, I have two great co leads in this this round. We just the COVID round we raised um, Scott Sanford at at Acme Ventures, and Ken C from Blockchain Ventures, Blockchain Capital. Um, uh, Ken's in New York. Um, Scott's down in LA. Um, I've actually known Scott for a long time. He's he's a big doctor and a man investor, um, but and, and Ken, I just met for this deal, and you know we we got we got to create that bond the three of us, and they they really leaned in and they they st stepped up big and led the round together. Uh, we we did get it done on Zoom, but it's like, man, it would have been a lot easier and, and probably you know a lot more efficient if we'd been able to do that in person. So you know, it's a look, it's it's a double edged sword. Right, that's true. But at least you know, no traffic on one on one. That's that's a very true point, which I personally love as well. You don't have to leave your house, and that's that's just perfect. Um, speaking of the investors, uh, you know, you're an investor yourself, and assume you talk to a lot of investors on a continuous basis. What's the major change that you've seen in the investors in the beginning of the COVID, and now once the COVID is, I believe, one year old? <laughs> I think more deals are getting done because of the aforementioned no need for physical meetings. Right. That's true. I think, That's I, I think fun. we'll see. We'll, we'll see what the numbers net out uh, on 2020. I'll bet you more money is deployed in 2020 than 2019. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I think I just saw statistics from DocuSend and Yep, the number of the pitch decks floating around is actually higher than 2019. So maybe, maybe you're right, but we'll see. We'll see the numbers soon. All right, uh, moving on to the next question. It's going to be about your own investment. So you mentioned that you are doing some investments uh, through the uh, family office and through the fund. Not super actively, but still you do those. So what do you invest in? Uh, what type of companies? What industry? And what's the average X size? Sure. Um, so I've learned kind of the hard way in life to just stay in my lane as an investor. So um, I understand very few things, but I understand them quite well. Uh, and so the, for me, that is, um, you know, anything like so SaaS, traditional SaaS still less so because it's 
so cutthroat competitive. I, th- I think SAS is a, is a race to zero and it's a, it's a consolidation game. Um, but for compelling founders, I'll do the SaaS, uh, SaaS deals. The rest is almost 100% blockchain-based networks, tokenized networks. Um, and there's so many use cases, you know, um, so- software ate the world and blockchain is eating the middleman. And so, you know, anywhere I can see um, founders who understand that, there's still a massive asymmetry of information in this world between the technologists and economists and entrepreneurs who understand the potential for blockchain based networks, you know, disintermediating, um, you know, high, high rent seeking tech, tech enabled middlemen. Um, there are so few investors who understand this. And so I like to be out there and, and participating as much as I can there. Uh, and that's basically it. I, you know, unless it's a friend who I know is a great operator, I'll, I'll, I'll bet on whatever she or he is doing. Um, but I stay out of all other categories, including like real estate and all that. Like I completely stay out of it. I'm, I'm all tech. Nice respect for not investing in real estate. Somehow pretty much everyone who is, you know, uh, successful in tech, they still invest in real estate, a decent amount of money. So that's, that's really cool. All right. Uh, moving on to the next question, raising money during the kind of post COVID winter. So who do you think should actually wait until the COVID is over, which might be pretty soon since the vaccine is pretty much out. And who should take this opportunity when everything is still online and try to raise money right now over Zoom? Yeah, look, I think um, I, I'm a little biased here, but I'll just throw this out to your audience as a data point. Um, I feel like any business that is experiencing a tailwind because of COVID should be out there in getting it done. Um, anyone who's been sort of neutrally affected or negatively affected by COVID should not be in market. Uh, and I just, this from having raised our big round now, and, you know, and then my, my previous company, Dr. On a man did a, a big $75 million round with general Atlantic that happened in June. Um, and so those are both, you know, brain trust and Dr. On a man are both, you know, pro you know, pro COVID, you know, helped from COVID businesses like Zoom, like Atlassian, like Slack, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, I would say if, if COVID's helping you get out and raise now, if it's hurting you, wait. Mm-hmm. Right, that's good advice. Um, so I think, yeah, right. You mentioned in the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that you, know, uh, you should really watch out to who you invite into your round, who your investors are, because yes, they do stick with you for a really long time. And you are... Basically, what are the major qualifications in the investors that you're looking at once you're running that so-called due diligence process on that? Yeah, you know, it's, um, I think it's a mixture of integrity and conviction because money's money, right? Money's easy to raise uh, or easy to access. Um, mm-hmm. You want conviction. You want someone who who believes this almost as much as you do. Uh, or as much, it's, it's rare, but um, but who gets the vision, right? Who's really compelled by the vision? Uh, like I could say that about all our major investors right now. They they text me in the middle of the night when they have ideas. You know, they're um, you know they're into it, right? I, I love that. I love I love how I love that they're into it because um, they're gonna they're gonna help me see things I may not see, right? Because that that's where the conviction helps. And then integrity. Look, you know, life's too short to deal with dirtbags. Um, and there's a ton of dirtbags in the venture industry, yeah, yeah, a ton of dirtbags, I'm sure in every industry, but, um, 
you know, so in integrity is something we look hard for. Right. Good advice. And hopefully other founders do have the luxury of actually choosing their investors. So on this pretty positive note, um, I'm wondering if I should ask you another question or not. Yeah, I'll ask that question. It should be should be fun. So question is, you know, you've heard plenty of stories. Uh, you've seen a lot of other startups trying to raise money or just, you know, in the huge network of San Francisco. What is the craziest idea that you've seen floating around in San Francisco or pretty much anywhere in the world? <laughs> like ever or or recently or what? Um, I would say ever the best of the best. Doesn't matter if it's five years old or one month old. <laughs> you know, um, it's a funny question because crazy is such a relative term, right? Um, I see. Uh, so let me, it, it, is there time? Can I give you like two answers to this? A hundred percent. Okay. So, so look, um, everyone has their anti-portfolio, right? So I'm going to get to that, but like here, here, cra crazy things, like, the craziest thing I see, and it's not just one thing, it's a pattern of ideas are are ideas for companies that incrementally improve something, right? So it's like, hey, we made a CRM that's like 5% better than HubSpot, you know? And it's like, what the fuck are you doing, right? Like, go home, man, go get a job at HubSpot, right? I'm not sure they even hire you. Like this incremental bullshit is not fundable. Don't, and if you're gonna do it, fine, if you're gonna do it, bootstrap it, right? You can make, you can build plenty incrementally better businesses with, you know, raising a small amount of money, cash flow on the thing. It don't you don't need venture, right? I mean, most businesses have no business raising venture capital. And so that that's number one. And then number two, like I just have to like, you know, my biggest miss as an investor, I was at this thing called Summit Series in I think it was 2010. And um there was a startup competition and I, I wasn't part of it. I was just in the audience and uh Chesky presented Airbnb and he, I think he was raising the seed round. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, I don't want fucking people on my couch. Like, that's tan. I don't want to sleep with someone else. Like, this is fucking Chris kids crazy. Right. And I was, just, I just remember thinking like, and like RISD, what's, you know, and I'm like, what, you know, and it, it just like, man, if I had put 50 grand into that round, I'd, you know, be like deciding which airplane to, to take today. You know? <laughs> Fair Very stupid miss on my part. And, um, and he seemed crazy, right? And like, there's a lot of um, smart people who backed him, and and I'm uh, I'm you know very happy for those people this week that that have cashed out on that guy's that crazy guy's idea. And Brian Brian's one of my heroes. I think he's you know invented design forward product, right? And and user centric product design. He's you know he's a, he's a hero. That's very true, and that's that's. That's very sad to see missing those opportunities. Luckily, in my career, I'm too early on to miss any of those. So I still don't have any regrets in my backpack, but I'm pretty sure I'll get a bunch of those pre- Give it time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. All right, so on this positive note, let's move on to the last question of today's episode, which is a call to action. So Adam, what is the one thing you want to listen to do as soon as the episode is over? Well, um, I talk about a lot of this stuff on LinkedIn and Twitter. I've been been pretty active around sort of sharing my, you know, my my uh, learnings and failures and and successes and all that stuff. So so follow me on Twitter and and shoot me questions there. I'm at, at Adam Jackson SF, and then on LinkedIn I'm just Adam Jackson. You'll find me there. 
and uh, yeah, shoot me notes and get like, let's have a public chat. I love, I love, um, I, that's why I love doing shows like yours. Like let, let, I love talking about all the stupid mistakes I've made. So, you know, it can help younger people like get there faster. Perfect. I'll make sure to leave a links to your LinkedIn and to your Twitter in the description of this episode. So if you want to talk to Adam a little bit more or just, you know, follow his journey, see what else he has to share, definitely check out the description of this episode. The links will be there. And as usually, have a good day.